seated. Great singing this morning. Heartfelt. You know, that's the way we're supposed to sing all the time, right? From right down in the bottom of our heart, sing up to God. But let's uh, pray as we begin this morning. Let's ask God to lead us. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would lead us through this time and that you would be glorified in all that we do. We pray that you will reveal yourself in your word and in us, in our bodies, in our minds, in our souls. Lord, may we reflect you in all things. And Lord, as we talk a little about fathers this morning, I pray that you, our Father in heaven, will show us who you are. We pray in Jesus' holy name, amen. Uh, not too long ago, there was a popular women's website that published some stories about fathers, and uh, several women told their stories and told about some of the things that happened with their dads, some of those events, and one woman remembered an evening when she was in third grade, and she was working on her math homework with her mom. Now... She was really wanting to be outside playing with the rest of the kids. She didn't want to be inside doing math homework. Math was hard. Math was tough. Uh, but here she was. But her mom refused to let her go out and play until she finished her homework. Now, I'm sure that's been true for many of us, too, right? Well, mom at some point leaves the room. As she goes into the kitchen, she's working on dinner or something in there, and, and dad wanders along. And he looks down, and he sees that she's crying. And, and that kind of gets to Dad's heart. And so she says, we made a deal that he would finish the rest of my homework so that I could go out and play with my friends. Well, after playtime was over, she came back inside, and there was Mom standing there with her arms crossed, and she got a real scolding. Now... She didn't get a scolding because mom found out she made a secret deal with dad and didn't do the homework herself. The problem was, all the answers to the math problems were wrong. <laughs> now, her final word on that story was, I guess now I know where I get my bad math skills from, right? Sometimes, as fathers, we do the wrong thing with good intentions. And uh, sometimes the things we set out to do for our families, for our children, do not turn out well. And, uh, you know, it's interesting how that goes. God can even use those things. Um, we're not alone when we mess up. In the Bible, there are plenty of examples of fathers, and uh, a lot of them are there not as positive examples, there are quite a few negative examples, people who are there, so not so we can follow them, but to teach us what not to do. They're cautionary tales. So this morning on Father's Day, I, I want to spend a little time looking at a few of those dads who went bad, so to speak. And, and we want to see if we can learn something from them. And then we're going to flip that over, and we're going to look at a few examples of good fathers. So... I want to start this morning by looking at dads behaving badly. And the first one up is Jacob. Jacob was the son of Isaac. Uh, you might remember the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob cheated his brother out of his birthright and then tricked his father into giving him the family blessing 
instead of giving it to Esau, who was the firstborn. Well, Jacob uh, is in a bit of a pickle because he did that. His brother wanted to kill him. And so he has to run away, and he stays in a, a pretty far-off place. <clears throat> and while he's there, he is tricked into marrying a woman named Leah, a woman he does not love. And he's forced to work for 14 years after that for his father-in-law so he could marry Rachel, the woman that he does love. Now, the story says that with Leah, he had many sons, but Rachel was unable to have children until they were much older. Finally, Rachel does give birth, and the firstborn of the two sons that she had was Joseph. Now, here's what happened in that situation, it says. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, he, they hated him and could not speak any kind word to him. Jacob was not a great father. He just wasn't. And, and he played favorites with Joseph. He loved Joseph the most, not just because he was, you know, the, he had him in, in his old age, as it mentions, but even more than that, it's because he loved Joseph's mother, Rachel, the most. He really loved Rachel. And, and sadly, we know that Rachel died in childbirth while delivering uh, Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin. So I'm sure that, that that made Jacob cling on to Joseph even more. You know, maybe he saw in Joseph something of his, his wife that he loved, and, uh, and he became the favorite. And it says Joseph had a special coat made for Joseph, the famous coat of many colors. Now, it's really interesting. Almost every translation says the coat of many colors, but it doesn't say that in Hebrew. In Hebrew, it doesn't really give us any color or description at all. It just sort of says it's really ornate. This is a fancy robe. And I'm sorry for Donny Osmond and the, you know, the Technicolor dream coat on Broadway and all of that, you know, but... It's an ornate coat. It's something really fancy. It's something really, really special. Now, imagine the brothers feeling, all these other brothers, what they felt like when they saw that. I mean, I'm sure they probably wondered, well, well, where's my fancy robe, you know? Why were they left out? And, you know, as the brothers went through life, I'm sure... You know, feelings be what they are and the way we demonstrate our feelings. I'm sure that they realized that that their mother was not as loved as the other mother, as, as Rachel. And I'm sure that in comparison to Joseph, they would have felt quite unloved. Well, showing favoritism, we know, is unwise, right? You may have a favorite, but it's best to keep that to yourself because it leads to all kinds of problems, including jealousy. And the brothers were very jealous, and they hated Joseph because of the ornate robe that dad gave them, and because dad loved them more. Now, it turns out that Joseph had a prophetic gift. He had a prophetic gift for dreams and interpretation of dreams. Now, 
Here's a part that I have a problem with. I don't, I don't know if Joseph was dropped on his head when he was a kid or if he was just a little bit thick as a brick when he was a teenager. You know, he has these dreams and he should keep his mouth shut and not say anything. But he has these dreams and he decides to tell his brothers all about his great dreams. And both dreams that he tells them about could be interpreted that at some time in the future, the brothers and Joseph's whole family will all bow down to Joseph. Well, I bet that made the brothers feel good. <laughs> Genesis 37 11 says his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, what kind of a father's response is that? <laughs> I mean, uh, here we have, you know, Jacob, Joseph's dad, he's aware of the situation. He's probably aware that he created all kinds of animosity with this fancy coat. And now here's more jealousy going on because of these dreams. And it says, he kept the matter in mind. There's no suggestion here at all that Joseph did anything at all about the problem. That he even spoke to them about the problem. Or did anything to try to change the way he treated his sons. He just thought about it. Well, that's helpful. Short time later, Dad, who apparently is still thinking about the situation, but not too hard, apparently, he sends Joseph out to check on his brothers and the flocks. And as soon as they saw Joseph coming in his fancy robe, they got angry. It says, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him. Throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. and Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Well, I think for the brothers, seeing that fancy robe coming in the distance was probably the final draw. straw. You know, there's, there's some serious hate going on here. There's enough hate to want them to kill Joseph. And thankfully, their older brother, Reuben, hears them talking and Reuben says no 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 let's not do that let's just throw him in the cistern and and we won't lay a hand on him at all we'll just we won't touch him we'll just put him down there and and he meant to come back later and let him out rescue him and take him back to his dad well by the time he came back around he found the place empty the brothers had sold Joseph to a passing caravan of Ishmaelites and they were on their way to Egypt and when they got to Egypt, they sold Joseph into slavery to the Egyptians. Now, if you track back, all of this father, all this trouble really started with the father, didn't it? Uh, he went bad when he held back his love for the other brothers and when he showered it on Joseph. And he withheld his favor from the other brothers and he played favors with Joseph. And when he heard trouble was brewing... He stayed passive, and he didn't get involved. But God knew that Joseph was the innocent in this story, aside from not being smart enough to keep his dreams to himself. Um, the rest of it wasn't really his fault. And it turned out that in the end, God would redeem this situation. Now, we're going to leave that where it is and come back to that in a couple of minutes. But the other person I want to look at this morning is David. David started out, as we sang, about a shepherd boy. And he started out as a shepherd. He ended up as the king of Israel, Israel's second king. 
And it says that David loved and served God. He sang all about God. As a musician, we know that David wrote 75 of the Psalms, and, and 73 of them have his name at the top, so we know for sure he wrote those. He loved God, and he sang about God, and he sang about the things he felt about God and in relationship to God. You know, his prayers are out, right out there. We know that David trusted God and that he trusted that God had his back. And so, you know, when he came to visit his brothers and bring them lunch one day and they saw them all standing on a hill and there was this giant who was confronting them and, and nobody was going down to do anything about it, he said, okay, he, I'll take care of this. God has my back. And he did. And he killed the giant Goliath. Everybody else was just standing there, shaking in their sandals. And it was David, later on, who defeated all of Israel's enemies when Saul was the king. He was the mighty warrior. You know, David was also a dad. We know that in his lifetime, David had ten sons by six wives and Bathsheba. And 1 Chronicles 3 says that he has many as twenty children. 19 of them boys, and one of them a girl. Now, that's, that's quite an interesting balance. And you know, in spite of having all of those children, you'd think he'd have a little experience and pick up a little wisdom along the way. In spite of having all of those children, he was a bad dad. He was not very good at it. When Saul was rejected by God as king, God said that he'd chosen someone else. And what he said about that someone else was, he is a man after God's own heart. That was David. He was someone who did the will of God and he kept his commandments. And rather than being rebellious or disobedient like Saul was, he followed God. And for many, many years, David followed God very closely. But then along comes that really infamous incident, the one we know about, that one with Bathsheba. Uh, 2 Samuel 11.1 1 tells us, In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Well, David was home. He had time on his hands. He's supposed to be out there with the army, isn't he? That's what kings did. But instead, you know, they say about idle hands. <laughs> and what happens with idle hands? Here he is standing on the roof, just kind of doing nothing. And he sees a woman bathing down below. And he sends out his men to find out who that beautiful woman was. Turned out it was Bathsheba. And she was married. And David didn't care. David sent them to bring her to him. He already knew, he absolutely knew that she was married, that she was the wife of Uriah the Hittite, but he took, him, took her anyway, and he slept with her. He was king. He could do whatever he wanted. Well, it wasn't very long. Bathsheba sent a little message up to the palace. Uh, excuse me, I'm pregnant. We got a problem here. And so good King David, good follower of God that he was, had her husband murdered to cover up what he did. 1 Chronicles 11 records the whole sad story. Uh, the one that 
the line that really stuck out to me was when I got to the end of that chapter, it, it says this in the very last verse, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Well, that's kind of the understatement of the year right there. God was more than displeased. God was very, very angry. Here is the man after God's own heart, the one who'd been really following everything, the one who'd been really living out this life for God, the one who God had chosen to replace the one who wasn't following him. And what does David do? He breaks God's law, and he falls a long, long way from where he started. You know, the punishment for murder was death, right? A life for a life. That was the Old Testament law. A life for a life. But God let David live. David's new son died instead. And David was never quite the same again after that. You know, actions have consequences, don't they? And, and our actions as parents can ripple down through generations. So we see our things, our baggage, our actions playing out in other generations. A disregard for law in one generation can open up a disregard for law in the next. And that's what happened. David had many sons, and he had one daughter. Daughter was named Tamar. She was beautiful. And he had a son named Amnon. And Amnon desired Tamar, his sister, sexually. And he pursued her. And she just pushed him away. She rebuffed all his efforts, and she wanted nothing to do with him. But he would not take no for an answer. And it says that he lured her and he raped her, his own sister. Well, when Absalom, one of his half-brothers, heard what had happened to their sister, he was enraged. And he immediately wanted to do something about it. And I, I'm sure he looked to the palace to see what David would do about this. How could he stand there as a father and allow his own daughter to be treated like this? But David didn't do anything. David remained passive. He didn't interfere as a parent. So Absalom, he couldn't stand it. And he was so angry that he lured Amnon to a party under false pretenses, and as soon as he came into the party, he killed him. Well, now he's broken the law, and as a result, he has to flee Jerusalem, and, and he takes off, and he becomes kind of an outlaw bandit, living in the hills, going from town to town, talking to the people, and begins raise support. People begin to follow him, and he begins to challenge David's rule. And at some point, he's so popular that he even has himself crowned as king. David wasn't up to the challenge. Instead of standing against Absalom, instead of taking him into custody, bringing him in, correcting him, jailing him, doing whatever needed to be done, David gets his staff together and they flee Jerusalem. They run away. That went on for a long time. The battle raged, and eventually, we know that David had his kingdom fully restored, but Absalom, his son, was killed in the process. Later in life, as if all that wasn't enough, later in life, 
We know that David's fourth son, Adonijah, also rose up against him and tried to take the throne, right when Solomon was, was about to be anointed. In that case, David had recovered. David had become that warrior again, and David repelled him, and Solomon was anointed to take the throne. David was not a great dad. And, you know, we could go through the Old Testament and we can look through the Bible and we can find a lot of other dads who are behaving badly in terms of their children. People like Aaron. Aaron, his sons did not follow God the way they should. Eli, Isaac, even Samuel. There was a lot of bad parenting going on and a lot of children who especially needed corrected in those instances. But that didn't happen. The parents just let it happen. Well, I want to move from dads behaving badly to the other side of the coin, and that's dads behaving goodly. And the first one on that list is Joseph. Now, wait a minute. We were just talking about Joseph. Well, one of the great things is that we don't have to live out the story of our parents. We can carve our own space. We can live our own life. We can follow God for ourselves. And you might say that this is the rest of the story for David, or for uh, Joseph, rather. It's true that Jacob had messed up in the way that he raised Joseph among his brothers. And by treating Joseph as special and honoring him and not honoring the brothers and showing more love, he really set Joseph up for failure. What happened with the other brothers' jealousy is clearly Jacob's fault. You think of all the things that happened to Joseph. You know, he gets, he gets beat up and kidnapped and sold into slavery and ends up in prison at one point. You know, all these terrible things that happened to Joseph. And it all kind of tracks back to dad. Because of what happened to Joseph, you know, he could have become very angry and bitter in life. And he could have turned out very badly. But Genesis 39 tells us that the Lord was with Joseph even in slavery. In fact, God made everything he did, everything that his hand touched, prosper. Even when Joseph was falsely accused and put in prison, he thrived. The people around him, they could see something different in him. They could see something special. They could see God's presence in his life. Of course, we know, and we won't go into all the details, but through a series of events, Joseph was eventually recognized by Pharaoh. Pharaoh had a dream, and he didn't know how to interpret it. And he was asking all the people in his kingdom, and nobody could interpret it for him. And somebody said, oh, hey, I remember this guy back in prison. I remember that he was able to interpret my dream, and they had him brought in. And he, he says, you know, I can't interpret that for you, but God can and he goes before God that night and he asks God for the interpretation. He comes back in the morning and he brings this to, to the king. And through God's power, he was able to tell him, there's a famine coming and it's going to be bad. There's going to be seven good years, but then seven terrible years where we won't harvest anything. And so Joseph ends up helping them to put away enough food to save the whole nation from starvation. And Pharaoh appointed him to help rule Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. Now, there's a line. I never saw it before, 
I, I know, you know, you read through these stories dozens of times, and, and then there'll be something that just kind of stands out to you. Joseph, when he finally encounters his brothers, he says to them, in Genesis 45, 8, he says that he had become a father to Pharaoh himself. So he had become a father figure in the life of the king of Egypt. He became a ruler next only to Pharaoh himself. You know, in spite of all the family sins and mistakes, Joseph was able to save his whole family from starvation because they came to Egypt to get food. And that's because God took this really bad situation, this really terrible childhood, if you think about all the things that happened to him, and God turned it upside down. God got a hold of it and turned it around. What the brothers meant for evil, God meant for good. And he turned it into good. Joseph was also a dad. Did you know that? He had two sons of his own. And uh, he was a good father. And he modeled all kinds of really great things in their lives. His sons, it says, they were present when Joseph encountered the brothers who betrayed him. And Joseph has the opportunity for revenge. He's now the one in charge. What does Joseph do? It says he showed them compassion and forgiveness and generosity and kindness. He ends up healing his broken family. And there's this really cool generational thing that happens. Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, are counted by Jacob as his own sons. And with all these sons together, we have 12. 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph inherits through his sons in this case. And we have Levi separated out to be the priestly order, and they have their own kind of special reward for that. And so these other 12, they are the chosen the sons of Israel. Israel was the name, the special name that God gave to Jacob after they wrestled. He became the father of nations, the great promise, and down through Joseph's line, here's all the things that happened to him. Think about that, all the terrible things that happened, and yet God blesses him by providing generations and generations of people who will live for God. nothing else Joseph's story tells us that we don't have to live out our parents' mistakes and our children don't have to live out our mistakes. God has a plan for them too if they chose to follow him. Now the other man behaving goodly is David. Now wait a minute. David was on our bad dad list a minute ago. How did David get on our good dad list? How did that happen? How did, how did that happen? Well, it's because when he messed up badly and sinned willfully, God sent the prophet Nathan to confront him. And when Nathan confronts David, David says, I'm that person. He, he confesses, he acknowledges his own sin, and he repents. 
Now, if you want to see how David repented, you can turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David's repentance at that time when he acknowledged his own sin and when he confessed it to God. And, and you, know, you know a lot of the words, I'm sure, by heart. One of the favorite sections is this one. Create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David was a terrible example as a dad. But when he sinned, he repented and he returned to God. And he did end up preparing the throne for his son Solomon. Solomon was a peaceful king, a wise king. And he did prepare the materials. You know, he wanted to build the temple for God. And God said, no, you got too much blood on your hands. Solomon will build it. And so he collected all the materials and got everything all ready so that Solomon, when he came into his power, he could build that temple. There's another part of the story of David that has always intrigued me. Sometime after David's kingdom was restored, he, he found out that his best friend Jonathan had had a son. The son's name was Mephibosheth. Jonathan had been killed in the war that his father had started against David. And it, he didn't even know until years later that he had a son. And David found out that this boy was in a certain place and he had him brought into Jerusalem. And he restored this man who was the son of his enemy or his father, you know, his grandfather was the enemy. But he restored his full inheritance to him. And it says that he invited Mephibosheth to always dine at his table. Now, what's really going on here? You know, it's not just about having a place to eat. If you know anything about this Middle Eastern culture, you know, we eat together. That's something special. That's a bond between us. And essentially what's happening here when he says, you will eat at my table always, is he's adopting him as part of the family. He's bringing him in to live at the palace and he's becoming like a stepfather to Mephibosheth. He made the young man family in honor of his friendship with his father. Now, he'd messed up badly with his own sons, but this one he could reach out to, and he did. And you know, there's something very special going on here. By redeeming Mephibosheth and bringing him in, in some ways he was really redeeming a part of himself that he had lost. There was something healing in that. You know about David, a little more than a thousand years later, here's Paul giving testimony in Acts chapter 13, and he's, he's preaching his heart out, and in the middle of this sermon where he's talking about the history of Israel, he says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And he will do everything I want him to. And here's, here's what Paul says next. He says, from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. You know, we can totally mess up sometimes in life and still have God use us anyway. You know, David got pretty far from God in that, 
interlude, but he came back to God in a big way. And we can do that too. You know, we do our best as, as we can to be good parents, and sometimes, you know, we even succeed at that. But when we succeed, we do it with God's help. When we mess up in our own lives, we can come back. God can restore us and take us to some new places that we've never even seen before. You know, the best thing that we can do for our children is to love God and to love them. That's the best we can do. In order to do that well, we need to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior and let him lead us in our lives. And you know, as parents, we can ask God for his help in raising our kids to walk with us. And we can ask God after some of these things occur in our lives to heal the broken places, to heal them in us, to heal them in our family relationships. And we can also ask help from our brothers and sisters right here in the church. Those people who've been there, done that, got a closet full of t-shirts. You know, they know how it works. They've been through it all and they can help us. We just need to ask. As we close, I'd like to pray over you, especially over you dads, because today is Father's Day, but over parents overall. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, today is a really good day to start that relationship. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are our example of fatherhood. You have revealed yourself through Jesus, showing us that Jesus is your exact reflection. And that's how we know we can trust you to care for us. You've said that you love us no matter what. And you've given us your son to be our Savior and Lord. His death on the cross paid the price for our sins. And Lord, right now, I ask you to take control of my life so that I may follow you better, to live for you, to be an example to my family. God, I pray that you will bring your blessing on each of these families and on all their relationships. May we all bring you glory. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.